This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. Drew Armstrong is here with us in our New York studio, our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. He leads all of our healthcare coverage here in the U.S., uh, certainly one of the busiest people in the empire. Uh, Drew, today feels different. Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, we've seen a number of announcements over the last 24 hours that I think are coming to fruition, some of the disruptions in daily life that people have been, you know, the the government leaders have been warning about that might take place, you know, uh, canceling large mass gatherings, uh, more and more incidences of people being urged to work from home. And I think some very, very stark warnings coming from Capitol Hill saying that, hey, this is a, a, a dangerous disease and this needs to be taken seriously and we need to take steps to protect those who are, are, are potentially vulnerable to it. So get ready for what now? I mean, I think one of the things that we have seen happen around the world, you know, is that you see a few cases and then you see a significant increase in cases as testing happens. Um, and then you begin to see some of the consequences of that. And in the U.S., I mean, we've had a huge lag in our ability to do proper surveillance for this disease. And the result is that we've been finding, you know, a small number of patients when they become much more serious. But it also means that you don't have as an effective a method to track down patients when they get sick and stop them from giving uh, potentially giving the disease to others and that's a that's a real that's not a great place to be and it puts the public health effort which is incredibly important on the back foot in doing something like this so I think next you're probably going to see the rising cases that everyone has expected um, the measures go into place that are more disruptive to try and stop that like we were talking about you know limits on mass gatherings working from home um, those type of things and hopefully that's sufficient and you don't see situations like you have seen in Italy um, you know which is a modern western healthcare system um, you know and places that are perhaps uh, more susceptible to this you know like in Iran or um, in Wuhan right and so as you talk to executives and investors and those who have a deep familiarity like you and your reporters do with the healthcare system where are we seeing the the stresses and strains what are they saying to you about how they're dealing with all this well, I think one of the things that you hear consistently with people and is the reason for a lot of these actions that are being taken is that people are biasing toward being extremely conservative right now because, you know, something that I think we've heard is that you, you can't you can't undo this decision if you screw it up. If you don't take one of these steps and someone, you know, it appears that you know, if someone has gotten sick in your office, there's probably a whole bunch of people that have gotten sick in your office. You can't, you can't, you know, dial this 
up once it's already happened, unfortunately. It's unlike a lot of other difficult situations that I think people deal with in, in a crisis. There is no going back into bias toward being conservative, so you don't have to make a decision you regret. Speaking of the train has left the station, well, the Dow has fallen uh, 20% from its February closing high. It is now officially, technically, if you talk to a technician, in uh, bear market territory. So we just did want to point that equities overall, they are near their lows of the session in uh, today's trade. And keep me honest, we won't officially call it a bear market he unless closes there, right? Typically, so, we can call it intraday. Right. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see what happens uh, at the close. You know, Drew, I do think, um, right, so we are where we are. We have to move forward. Um, we talked to a doctor, head of a, or a senior um, official at the hospital system out there in Seattle, where it's been patient, well, you know, patient zero has, has been from this hospital system. So, he, she said early days. So I don't know. Can we even start to think in a month or two months it starts to get better? Do we even have an indication based on can't necessarily compare China? I don't know. What do we compare ourselves to at this point? I don't, I don't think we have a lot of great comparisons for this, but I do think that, you know, from – and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a huge caveats here just because there are not a lot of great precedents for – something like this i think mm-hmm. this has really been you know it is it is you know like the flu but the flu has not been as disruptive and we have vaccines and all sorts of other stuff um is i think that the big difference we had a vaccine yeah i mean listen like the flu is is quite quite deadly but we have a lot of ways of protecting against it i mean we have vaccines that are widely used and that people should get and that you know are very good at not only stopping people from getting the flu but also reducing mortality from people that do i mean you know what you when you some of the bad scary flu pandemics that have happened um in history have been in cases where the vaccine may not have been particularly well matched uh or we've been in cases where there are new strains of the of the flu that people don't have that that built-in immunity to i mean keep in mind we have been exposed exposed to flu viruses our whole lives, sure, and so right. our immune system does have some um, recognition um, of them and ability uh, to fight them in some in some cases. That's not necessarily uh, as much the case. It appears, and we're still learning a lot uh, with this. I mean, we're you know, it is a it a little more novel situation. But no, I mean, these things take time. I mean, the, the when you're talking about multi you know week long incubation periods, long times that people are sick, just, it just takes a little while to get through them. Just quickly, what will make the biggest difference now? Is it more test kits so we can assess the situation? Is it people staying at home? Uh, at this point, we can't do containment. So just got about 30 seconds here. I think the most important thing right now is to know exactly what the size of the problem is. It gives people better information to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. They don't panic when you have things like that. You need more testing. You need to know what the diagnosis and the spread is so you can take the appropriate actions and not have people scared and taking panicked ones. All right, Drew Armstrong, thank you so much. Really smart analysis of what's going on. Team leader for U.S. Healthcare here at Bloomberg. Well, among our most read stories on the Bloomberg today about Monday on Air Force One and the impact that trip had on President Trump. Justin Sink is White House reporter at Bloomberg News. He's on phone, on the phone, excuse me, from the White House. And I know you've got a meeting to go to shortly uh, at the White House. But Monday was pivotal in all of this in terms of President Trump's thinking about the virus. Yeah, I mean, just talking to White House officials who uh, have been around the president, they they sort of noted that there was a real shift between the messaging that we heard before the president um, left Florida on Monday, where you know he was kind of uh, got a keep calm and carry on attitude, he was shaking hands, he was attending fundraisers, he was golfing with members of the Washington Nationals, and 
after this trip back where, you know, not only were, were televisions on the Air Force One turned to, to cable news and he was seeing the sort of dramatic fall, the, the biggest fall in markets since uh, the 2008 crisis, but uh, Congressman Matt Gates, a, a Florida congressman who had been with the president all weekend, received a call that uh, he had been in, in contact with one of the uh, people who had contracted the virus at a, at a conservative political conference here in Washington and so had to go self-quarantine. He, he kind of barricaded himself in one of the cabins on Air Force One and and uh, made everybody kind of leave him alone for the rest of the flight. And uh, so by the time that the president got back to Washington, his, his team had already convened a meeting of, of his top economic advisors. And uh, there was a real shift in that meeting where the president was, you know, said that he wanted to kind of immediately uh, announce new big sweeping stimulus that could, could try to shore up markets during uh, this really volatile period. And Justin, that was Monday. We all went into yesterday and it felt like investors felt like, okay, the plan is coming. We're going to hear a plan later this afternoon. And then it didn't really materialize. We did get some reports from Capitol Hill, uh, you know, from some of our colleagues about the discussions back and forth. And you did some great reporting as always as well. What happened with all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think what really happened was the president decided that he was going to announce what he wanted before his team had fleshed it out or gotten sign-off on Capitol Hill. And so, you know, big initiatives, especially the payroll tax cut, was something that, that just didn't have support, not only among Democrats, but even some Republicans who saw it as not not carefully targeted enough. And so uh, investors had a reason to think that we we're going to get more details yesterday. The president himself had promised to come out and sort of detail the policies. But instead, what we got was uh, Larry Kudlow late in the day uh, sort of admitting to reporters, hey, we still have to figure out. Uh, the nuts and bolts of this before I can explain to you how we're going to pay for it, why it would be good, what the the exact impact of these measures would be. And and I think we're seeing the White House try to work through that now. We know Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and, and House Speaker Pelosi have been trading proposals back and forth. But, right. uh, it's obviously not what markets were hoping to see. Justin, we know you've got to run. Just got about 40 seconds left here before you have to do that. You're heading to the White House for a meeting, I believe, with bank executives. What are you hearing in terms of a timeline of something coming out um, to help the markets, to help industries that are hurting, to help citizens that are hurting? Yeah, so obviously I think the White House is feeling pressure to announce new steps to, to help shore up the economy. Part of the conversation with uh, bank CEOs is going to be them uh, encouraging banks to, to have leniency with people with student loans, people with mortgages that they have to pay, but who could be missing paychecks or, or seeing far lower salaries because of the coronavirus situation. Hopefully that will help, but but obviously the eyes are, are still tuned to, right. to what this big stimulus package might be. All right, Justin Singh, go cover that meeting. We'll be on the lookout for your great reporting. Thank you so much. White House reporter for Bloomberg joining us on the phone from the White House. And again, uh, you've got a lot of meetings going on. The metabolism has quickened, certainly, at the Great administration uh, over the past couple of days, uh, and that is for certain. Hilton to draw down part of a $1.75 billion credit line as the virus spreads. Uh, we're going to talk about Boeing, which is going to be drawing or expected to draw down a much bigger part of a, a credit line that they have. But this speaks to, and there's a story in the magazine that takes a look at specifically the virus impact 
on the corporate credit markets and specifically those companies that have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. Some in particular, whether it's travel and leisure, the hospitality industry, obviously the energy industry. But this is a point where some of those companies that are in tough situations, this could potentially be a do or die time for some of them. So we're going to watch them very closely. And I think the tourism and travel element is really important. You know, we are seeing some tweets and headlines that came across around Amtrak, you know, canceling a bunch of trains. I mean, that is a very familiar route for a lot of our listeners between New York and Washington, New York and Boston, everywhere uh, in between. And they're cutting capacity because the ridership just isn't there. Those people aren't staying in hotels. They're not eating meals on the road. And that does have a pretty broad uh, economic effect. Well, that's for certain. Uh, This story in Business Week magazine this week, it's also on the terminal at Bloomberg.com about how you can't fight the virus without harming the the economy. It's just not easy. Peter Coy's economics editor of Bloomberg Business Week last week, you might recall, wrote about how the U.S. may already be in a recession. He's back in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker studio. It's not easy, right? Containing the virus, there are consequences to it, as we know. Yeah, I mean, I liken it to the way the body reacts when... uh it's attacked by the coronavirus. The immune system goes into overdrive, actually overreacts. And that's a lot of the damage that's done to your body, to your lungs, is caused by the immune system rather than the initial damage by the virus itself. So likewise with the economy, the efforts to fight it uh, through quarantines, self-segregation, staying at home, Ending sporting events, you know, hotels, on and on and on. Yeah. All those things cause economic harm. It's not the virus that's doing it so much as our effort to defeat the virus. And that's just inevitable. And so bring it to the U.S. I mean, when you think about I mean, it feels like this week we've started to at least get a sense of what this looks like economically. Or we've gotten some hints in terms of things getting shut down. We've talked about universities and colleges shutting down. We're talking about the Golden State Warriors playing in front against the Brooklyn Nets out in California in front of an empty stadium. All of this starts to have an economic impact. Yeah, I think day by day, people are gradually realizing this is worse than they really had thought. And that's why the markets were down again today. I mean, we, we almost become numb. S&P was down like 4.8% so far today. That's just a huge number. Yeah. And and yet... Officially a 20% bear market correction. Yeah, I mean, th- this is big stuff. And um, it's... And yet, we, and yet we have a sense that we still don't know where it's going to end up. I, I mean, I agree with you, Jason, that we're getting our arms around it, but we haven't gotten our arms all the That's way right. around. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, so, it could get worse. Yeah. You know, we're at a time, and certainly the magazine, we, there's a story about, you know, kind of how quickly can China recovery. So everybody's trying to figure that yes. out, right? Because yes. they had it first, and they're starting to see right. people come back to work and so on and so forth. And we're trying to assess the economic impact. Too early, too, to assess the economic impact. I, I think China is a fascinating case, and I wish I, I knew more, wish we all knew more about what's going on in China, because on the face of it, things look really, really good. The, the number of cases in China is way down. Okay, they had a really bad first quarter, but if you believe that this is really the worst of it in China, then you're, you're pretty optimistic because it looks more like a series of rolling blackouts hitting one country after another. Right. That's the optimistic case. The pessimistic case is that Well, China's, if you believe. I love what you're you know, saying. Well, if you believe it. <laughs> yeah. If you believe the numbers. But also, will 
uh, two things. Will China have a new resurgence of cases as it does try to get its economy going again? And second, could any other country replicate what China has done? And right. I don't think it can. And so one of the things you write about, which I find so interesting is, and, and Carol is fond of saying, which I totally agree with, and I think it's a really important point, the market is not the economy. Right. And yet, the wealth effect that, that you write about is a really important element here because people do take some cues about their economic well-being from the stock market. So I would think the market's important too. Is one, it, it is somewhat of a signal of what's going on in the real economy. In other words, you got a lot of smart people making the best decisions with their own money at right. stake and what's going to happen. And if they all think things would be really bad, you ought to pay some attention to that. That's number one. The other is this wealth effect that you mentioned where you feel poor, you're going to spend less, and businesses are going to take it as a cue too. Hey, everybody's telling us that you know maybe our, we're not, our prospects are not as good as we thought. Maybe we should not be investing as much. So that's another major effect. And then, of course, the bond market. Uh, you know, Bond yields going up gets harder to borrow. And uh, that's another damper on the economy. And just logistics, right? I do think about as trading desks move from, you know, headquarters to places where there isn't the fastest internet yeah. service or something. I do wonder about, you know, the market activity drying up uh, and also maybe a lack of liquidity in the market and what impact that ultimately has, too. And that just kind of exacerbates it. I know your economy, but that's I do think me, about yeah. kind of putting it all together. Yeah, Matt Levine has been writing some good stuff about that and Brian Chapot yeah. and so on. But it just exacerbates. Yeah. Right. So for yeah. you know, we think about just the basic things that impact the economy. We you know understand the kind of A to B correlation or the direct impact, but there are things like you know the market activity. Just yeah, you know, also those are human beings making decisions out there, and you know if they are feeling like something bad is happening in their neighborhood, it's going to color their thinking about the markets as well. SARS and things like that still also not the same. Th- this is. Um, worse than SARS, not in its lethality, it's less lethal, but in the very fact that it can spread asymptomatically. Very scary thing. Yeah. So as you guys were talking about this, uh, this takeover uh, of Bloomberg Businessweek magazine, you've been doing this for a long time at Bloomberg Businessweek. You know what a big deal it is to essentially say, nothing else matters. We're only doing this. Help us understand, as you were talking, especially with your economics colleagues, how you decided to kind of where to focus and and how to do it. Well, Joel Weber was the one who made the decision, first of all, to do the special issue and then partway through the process say, you know, we'll just clear the decks and give the whole magazine to it. And so we really tried to be comprehensive. It's not just economics. Yeah. We, we, we did it from the top down. We start out with a macro, that's the economy, and then we move on to government, and then companies, and then individuals, and then right down to the um, sub-electron uh, microscopic level of the virus itself and wh- how that thing works and why it's such a killer. You know, in terms of crises, whether it's, you know, the financial crisis, whether it was 9-11, I mean, we've gone through lots of the energy, oil shock, go back, you know, to the 70s, you know, we've gone through certain things in terms of bounce back. And I know that's hard to think mm-hmm. about right now, but I do wonder when there's clarity, do, are we in a position to bounce back rather quickly when people kind of come out of their homes, go back to work? Do we anticipate a big bounce Well, that back? would certainly be the case if, in fact, there's an all clear sounded and we said, okay, good, the virus Go to it, right? Go to it. Then there would be an enormous relief rally. I just don't know if that is the way things are going to play out here or whether this virus could become endemic and we stuck with it and the precautions against it for a long, long time. 
Yeah. All right. Well, we always appreciate your fine work. It's pretty heavy. Peter Coy. Yeah. It's heavy Sorry. for sure. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. No, it's it's uh it's good. It's good context. Yeah. Uh, we always count on you to give Thoughtful. us the both historical uh, and global perspective. Check out Peter's story in the current issue of Bloomberg Business Week magazine. I should say the upcoming issue, but you can see it online and at Bloomberg. New York Post has a story that uh, San Francisco is rolling out RVs for the homeless population amid coronavirus concerns. It's kind of interesting. Interesting. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. All right. Paula Seligson is here with us. She is a leverage finance reporter for Bloomberg, joining us in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. One of the stories that both Carol and I just oh gravitated God. to this morning was all about Boeing. We've been watching this company so closely, and we've seen a lot of companies follow suit to what they did, which is a full drawdown of a $13.8 billion loan. As Carol Master would say, whoa, that's a lot of money. Uh, Paula, great to see you. Thanks for having me. All right. So tell us what's going on here. Why now? We know the coronavirus, but what is the backstory here with Boeing? Absolutely. Um, first, let's back up a second. Before coronavirus was ever a headline, we were seeing Boeing face the 737 MAX crisis. Two plane crashes, worldwide grounding, and production halts. That obviously created a lot of cash challenges for Boeing, which is when it decided to seek out this $13.8 billion loan with a group of banks. Which is what a company will do. Exactly. Very normal. That's what the banks are there for, to help a company in a time of crisis. Um, and so in this situation, when the uh, loan first closed in February, it, it's structured in a special way where Boeing can choose when to draw the full amount of the loan based on their cash needs at the time. So back in February, they drew about half of the loan. And the news this week is they decided to draw the full amount of the loan as early as Friday. So we just did a story about Blackstone basically telling the companies that it's invested in or that it owns that it too should tap its credit lines, right? And this is just providing a safety net you know, because we just don't know how tough it's going to be. Is this Boeing being responsible or is this Boeing kind of signaling that we're in trouble? I would say at this stage, it's Boeing being responsible. Mm. The way this loan is structured is it was always meant to be fully drawn. The question was timing. And so before, you know, they draw half of it in February, we weren't sure when they draw the rest, but we knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. But when I was speaking to sources for the story, they said specifically Boeing tapped the loan as a precaution due to the market turmoil. All right, so talk to us about who else is doing these sorts of things. A lot of travel names, it sounds like here. Yes, so we've already seen two cruise lines basically increase their ability to draw down these loans with their banks. Um, you know, our colleagues just broke the news that Hilton is planning on yep. drawing down a portion of its loan. And um, earlier this week, uh, we reported that airlines just across the board are in discussions with their banks for similar kinds of financings. So, yeah, I mean, this is what's interesting. I think about coming off the financial crisis, right? Rates were so low. Uh, companies were able to either... Uh, you know, refinance their debt at much lower rates, also tap into more debt because it was so inexpensive. And at the time, we thought, wow, this is a really great thing. This is companies being smart, you know, creating a pad and so on and so forth. Um, but what's interesting is I do wonder now, are these companies <laughs> paying the piper because they now are much more leveraged? Uh, there's stories on the terminal about how much more corporate debt and how much it's grown in the last few years. 
and whether this makes them more vulnerable. That's an interesting question on the pricing. Um, so for Boeing's example, it's an investment grade rated company and is still solidly there. Right. So its pricing was actually very low for this kind of loan. Um, for many of the other travel names, though, those are high yield companies or junk rated companies. Um, so they will be paying more. That being said, this type of bank loan is some of the cheapest kind of financing these companies can get. It's when they go to a broad base of bond or in leverage loan investors that the prices increase more. And so help us understand sort of the broader mood right now in Levfin world. You're talking to investors and companies and issuers all the time. What are they saying? How has that tone changed maybe over the last few days or even today? You know, it's funny you say that. Last week, it was a lot of uncertainty. Is this short term? Is this long term? And clearly, the tone this week has changed drastically. Mm -hmm. um, what was once hoped to be a short term problem that we could work through quickly has now become a pandemic, as they announced earlier today. Um, it's just a lot of uncertainty and question marks. I wish I had a good insight, but yeah. I think everyone I speak to is just sort of asking the same questions. Right no, now. I think there is as many questions as and more questions than answers uh, in many ways. And I would imagine a lot of folks you're talking to have themselves been disrupted by this, people working from home and whatnot. I mean, we've done a lot of reporting about sort of Wall Street at totally. this moment uh, has a very different feel, even, you know, as we said at the top of the show, New York City uh, has a different feel because folks uh, working remotely. Forgive yes. me, I'm just watching all these headlines because there's so much crossing. Uh, a CDC official hoping to see a drop in virus transmission in the summer. Wow. Hmm. So this is, you know, as we start to kind of get our head around what it all means. We also have uh, PIMCO's Tiffany Wilding, she's Executive VP, Chief Economist for the U.S. at PIMCO, um, saying that the Fed should fund backstop to the markets. The Fed can act to shore up commercial paper, um, can't buy credit equities, I guess, without, the, without an act of Congress. So, you know, this is that whole thing that you can say, I want to do this stuff, but some of this stuff takes an act of Congress or some timing, um, and it plays into all the things that companies are watching, right, as they, all, as they really try to manage their own balance sheets. Yeah. Good stuff. Right. Really good stuff. Uh, thank you Paula, so much. Thank you. Paula Seligson, Leverage Finance Reporter for Bloomberg here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. One of the most read stories of the day, uh, Boeing drawing down that full $13.8 billion loan. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. Yeah, how about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. Is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, it's time for the drive to the close on this Thursday. Definitely a volatile week so far. It's only Wednesday. We are bouncing off our lows of the session, but I say that with some perspective because we're still down 4.7% on the S&P, down 5.6% on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, a 4.6% decline roughly on the NASDAQ. Let's bring in our market guest. Melda Morgan is Deputy Global Head of Equities at Columbia Thread Needle Investments, joining us on the phone from Boston. Uh, Melda, nice to have you here with us. Are you working at home by any chance? No, I'm still in the office. Okay. What's, you know, just give us an update in terms of your firm. Um, what's the situation in terms of uh, dealing with the virus and how it's impacting how you guys work? 
like everybody else, we are trying to be on the safe side. So uh, there are a lot of uh, caution around traveling. We identify essential and non-essential. Definitely non-essential to travel is postponed. Um, in terms of our staff, again, safety is the most important thing, and we are looking into taking different ways of, of caution, making sure that everybody stays healthy and productive. All right, uh, Melda, hang on for one second. I just want to bring you one headline crossing Bloomberg right now. President Trump saying he will make a statement tonight on the decisions he's making related to the virus, presumably actions that the government is going to take to try and bolster the economy, as well as maybe some of the actions around trying to contain or uh, deal with the coronavirus. Those are headlines coming out of the meeting with the heads of some big Wall Street banks and investment houses. We'll bring you more of that as it's available. All right, Melda. So the president's going to make a statement tonight on virus decisions. What do you need to hear from our president? Um, I, I think uh, fiscal stimulus is going to be a very important component to, to fight this um, crisis, and that's, I think, what everybody is looking for in terms of the statement from him and generally from the government. Um, I think Fed uh, did what they can do, uh, create the liquidity in the market, but now fiscal stimulus is going to be the next step. What's the most effective in your view? What do you want to hear specifically? Drill down. Um, again, it's it's really if you think about the help uh, from fiscal stimulus to be to the demand side, you really want to make sure that the government does everything in its power, either postpone the uh, uh, possibility of of um, consumer. Uh, debt being a problem in the near future and also uh, spending government money uh, through either tax uh, delay or other ways to uh, create more opportunities for consumer to spend. Well, Melda, as we look across the, the carnage really here, on, at least from a stock perspective, what do you see in terms of sectors that have been sort of fairly sold off or there are some that have been overly sold off? How do, what do you make of it? Um, I think financials is one area we are looking at very closely. Uh, we know that or we believe they don't really represent any systematic risk to the system like 2008, but some of the um, numbers, if you look at their valuation and the way they performed, uh, feels like uh, they've been uh, penalized too much. So that's an area we are looking at closely for opportunities. Energy and materials, that's where uh, we see the underperformance, and there are reasons for that that we agree with, and we are being still cautious in that um, group of sectors. So I'm confusing. So the places where you see opportunities, are you actually doing some buying? Uh, not yet, but we are looking more closely, yes, for buying opportunities in financial specifically. And, and sorry, I may have missed this when you, when you said, what are you avoiding? Uh, we are avoiding um, companies uh, with um, a lot of debt or uh, commitment for uh, features uh, in terms of their cash levels. So we are paying a lot of attention to, to the cash flows of the companies and their liquidity uh, in the near future. And so what do you expect from the Fed next week? They're going to, to meet, you know, you mentioned the actions that, that they've already taken. Obviously, their actions and there's sort of a tone, a reflection of, you know, what they are seeing in the underlying economy. What would you like to hear from Jay Powell? Um, we need to 
still them being very transparent with their messaging around the fact that, you know, they will provide liquidity to the market and they have different levers to pull. So uh, we are expecting rates to be one of that, uh, one of those uh, levers, but they can do other things and um, having them reassuring the market through that uh, type of messaging is going to be very important. All right. We're going to leave it on that note. Melda, thank you so much. Melda Bergen, Deputy Global Head of Equities at Columbia Threadneedle Investments on the phone uh, from Boston. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.